Queen Lucia by E. F. Benson. Read for LibriVox.org by Martin Clifton. Chapter 9 The fish, for which Mrs. Weston sent to Brinton every week, since she did not like the look of the successor to Tommy Luton's mother, lay disregarded on the dish, while with her fork and fish slice in her hand as aids to gesticulation, she was recounting to Colonel Boucher the complete steps that had led up to her remarkable discovery. It was the day of Mrs. Lucas' garden party, she said, when first I began to have my ideas, and you may be sure I kept them to myself, for I am not one to speak before I am pretty sure. But now, if the king and queen came to me on their bended knee, and said it wasn't so, I shouldn't believe them. Well, as you remember, we all went back to Mrs. Lucas' party again about half-past six, and it was an umbrella that one had left behind, and a stick that another had forgotten, and what not. For me, it was a book all about Venice that I wanted to borrow, most interesting, I'm sure, but I haven't had time to glance at it yet. And there was Miss Bracely just come. Mrs. Weston had to pause a moment for her maid, Elizabeth Luton, cousin of Tommy, jogged her elbow with the dish-cover in a manner that could not fail to remind her that Colonel Boucher was still waiting for his piece of brill. As she carved it for him, he rapidly ran over in his mind what seemed to be the main point so far, for as yet there was no certain clue as to the purpose of this preliminary matter. He guessed either Guru or Miss Bracely. Then he received his piece of brill, and Mrs. Weston laid down her carving implements again. "'You had better help yourself, ma'am,' said Elizabeth discreetly. "'So I had, and I'll give you a piece of advice too, Elizabeth, and that is to give the Colonel a glass of wine. Burgundy.' "'I was only wondering this afternoon, when it began to turn chilly, if there was a bottle or two of the old Burgundy left, which Mr. Weston used to be so fond of, and there was.' He bought it on the very spot where it was made, and he said there wasn't a headache in it, not if you drank it all night. He never did, for a couple of glasses and one more was all he ever took, so I don't know how he knew about drinking it all night, but he was a very fine judge of wine. So I said to Elizabeth, a bottle of the old Burgundy, Elizabeth. Well, on that evening I stopped behind a bit to have another look at the Guru and get my book. And when I came up the street again, what should I see but Miss Bracely walking into the little front garden at Old Place? It was getting dark, I know, and my eyes aren't like Mrs. Antipas's, which I call Gimlet's, but I saw her plain enough, and if it wasn't the next day, it was the day after that, that they began mending the roof, and since then there have been plumbers and painters and upholsterers and furniture vans at the door day and night. "'Oh, hum!' said the Colonel. "'Then do you mean that it's Miss Bracely who's taken it?' Mrs. Weston nodded her head up and down. "'I shall ask you what you think when I've told you all,' she said. "'Well, there came a day, and if today's Friday, it would be last Tuesday fortnight, or if today's Thursday, for I get mixed up about it this morning, and then I never get it straight till next Sunday, but if today's Thursday, then it would be last Monday fortnight,' when the guru went away very suddenly. And I'm sure I wasn't very sorry, because those breathings made me feel very giddy, and yet I didn't like to be out of it at all. Mr. George's sisters went away the same day, and I've often wondered whether there was any connection between the two events, for it was odd their happening together like that, and I'm not sure we've heard the last of it yet. 
Colonel Boucher began to wonder whether this was going to be about the Guru after all, and helped himself to half a partridge. This had the effect of diverting Mrs. Weston's attention. No, she said, I insist on your taking the whole bird. They're quite small, and I was disappointed when I saw them plucked. And a bit of cold ham and a savoury is all the rest of your dinner. Mary asked me if I wouldn't have an apple tart as well, but I said, No, the Colonel never touches sweets, but he'll have a partridge, a whole partridge, I said, and he won't complain of his dinner. Well, on the day that they all went away, whatever the explanation of that was, I was sitting in my chair opposite the arms, when out came the landlord, followed by two men carrying the settle that stood on the right of the fireplace in the hall. So I said, Well, landlord, who's ordered that handsome piece? For handsome it was, with its carved arms. And he said, Good morning, ma'am. No, good afternoon, ma'am, it would be. It's for Miss... And then he stopped dead and corrected himself. It's for Mr. Pilson. Mrs. Weston rapidly took a great quantity of mouthfuls of partridge. As soon as possible she went on. So perhaps you can tell me where it is now, if it was for Mr. Georgie, she said. I was only there two days ago, and it wasn't in his hall, or in his dining room, or in his drawing room. For though there are changes there, that settle isn't one of them. It's his treasure case that's so altered. The snuff-box is gone, and the cigarette case, and the piece of bow china, and instead there's a rat-tail spoon, which he used to have on his dinner table, and made a great fuss with, and a bit of Worcester china that used to stand on the mantelpiece, and a different cigarette case, and a bead-bag. I don't know where that came from, but if he inherited it, he didn't inherit much that time. I priced it at five shillings. But there's no settle in the treasure case, or out of it. And if you want to know where the settle is, it's in old place, because I saw it there myself, when the door was open as I passed. He bought it, Mr. Georgie, on behalf of Miss Bracely, unless you suppose that Mr. Georgie is going to live in old place one day, and his own house the next. No, it's Miss Bracely who's going to live at old place, and that explains the landlord saying Miss, and then stopping. For some reason, and I dare say that won't puzzle me long, now I can give my mind to it, she's making a secret about it, and only Mr. Georgie and the landlord of the arms know. Of course, he had to, for old place is his, and I wish I'd bought it myself now, for he got it for an old song. Well, by Jove, you have pieced it together finely, said Colonel Boucher. Wait a bit, said Mrs. Weston, rising to her climax. This very day, when Mary, that's my cook, as you know, was coming back from Brinton with that bit of brill we'd been eating, for they hadn't got an ounce of turbot, which I wanted, a luggage train was standing at Risham Station, and they had just taken out of it a case that could have held nothing but a grand piano. And if that's not enough for you, Colonel, there were two big dress-baskets as well, which I think must have contained linen, for they were corded and it took two men to move each of them, so Mary said, and there's nothing so heavy as linen properly packed, unless it's plate, and there printed on them in black, no, it would be white, because the dress baskets are black, were the initials O.B., and if you can point to another O.B. in Rhizome, I shall think I've lost my memory. At this moment of supreme climax, the telephone bell rang in the hall, shrill through the noise of cracking walnuts, and in came Elizabeth with the news that Mr. Georgie wanted to know if he might come in for half an hour and chat. 
If it had been Olga Bracely herself, she could hardly have been more welcome. Virtue, the virtue of observation and inference, was receiving its immediate reward. Delighted, say I'm delighted, Elizabeth said Mrs. Weston. And now, Colonel, why should you sit all alone here, and I all alone in the drawing-room? Bring your decanter and your glass with you, and you shall spare me half a glass for myself. And if you can't guess what one of the questions that I shall ask Mr. Georgie is, well... Georgie made haste to avail himself of this hospitality, for he was bursting with the most important news that had been his since the night of the burglaries. Today he had received permission to let it be known that Olga was coming to Old Place, for Mr. Shuttleworth had been informed of the purchase and furnishing of the house, and had, as expected, presented his wife with it, a really magnificent gift. So now Risel might know too and Georgie, as eager as Hermes, if not quite so swift, tripped across to Mrs. Weston's on his delightful errand. It was, too, of the nature of just such a punitive expedition as Georgie thoroughly enjoyed, for Lucia all this week had been rather haughty and cold with him for his firm refusal to tell her who the purchaser of Old Place was. He had admitted that he knew, but had said that he was under promise not to reveal that, until permitted and Lucia had been haughty in consequence. She had, in fact, been so haughty that when Georgie rang her up just now, before ringing Mrs. Weston up, to ask if he might spend an hour after dinner there, fully intending to tell her the great news, she had replied, through her parlour-maid, that she was very busy at the piano. Very well, if she preferred the second and third movements of the Moonlight Sonata, which she had seriously taken in hand, to George's company, why he would offer himself and his great news elsewhere. But he determined not to bring it out at once, that sort of thing must be kept till he said it was time to go away. Then he would bring it out and depart in the blaze of success. He had brought a pretty piece of embroidery with him to occupy himself with, for his work had fallen into sad arrears during August, and he settled himself comfortably down close to the light so that at the cost of very little eye-strain he need not put on his spectacles. "'Any news?' he asked, according to the invariable formula. Mrs. Weston caught the Colonel's eye. She was not proposing to bring out her tremendous interrogation just yet. "'Poor Mrs. Antropus, toothache,' she said. "'I was in the chemist's this morning, and who should come in but Miss Piggy, and she wanted a drop of laudanum, and had to say what it was for, and even then she had to sign a paper. Very unpleasant, I call it, to be obliged to let a chemist know that your mother has a toothache. But there it was, tell him she had to, or go away without any laudanum. I don't know whether Mr. Doubleday was asking more than he should, just out of inquisitiveness, for I don't see what business it is of his. I know what I should have said. Oh, Mr. Doubleday, I want it to make laudanum tartlets. We are so fond of laudanum tartlets. Something sharp and sarcastic like that, to show him his place. But I expect it did Mrs. Antropus good, for there she was on the green in the afternoon, and her face wasn't swollen, for I had a good look at her. Oh, and there was something I wanted to ask you, Mr. Georgie, and I had it on the tip of my tongue a moment ago. We talked about it at dinner, the Colonel and I, while we were eating our bit of partridge, and I thought... Mr. Georgie will be sure to be able to tell us. And if you didn't ring up on the telephone immediately afterwards, 
That seemed just providential. But what's the use of that, if I can't remember what it was I wanted to ask you? This seemed a good opening for his startling news, but Georgie rejected it, as it was too early yet. I wonder what it could have been, he said. Well, it will come back to me presently. And here's our coffee, and I see Elizabeth hasn't forgotten to bring a drop of something good for you two gentlemen. And I don't say that I won't join you, if Elizabeth will bring another glass. What with a glass of burgundy at my dinner and a drop of brandy now, I shall be quite tipsy unless I take care. The guru now, Mr. Georgie. No, that's what I wanted to ask you about. But has there been any news of the guru? For a moment in this juxtaposition of the topics of brandy and guru, Georgie was afraid that something might have leaked out about the contents of the cupboard in Othello. But it was evidently a chance combination, for Mrs. Weston went straight on without waiting for an answer. What a day that was, she said, when he and Miss Olga Bracely were both at Miss Lucas' garden party. Ah, now I've got it. Now I know what I wanted to ask. When will Miss Olga Bracely come to live at Old Place? Quite soon now, I suppose. If Georgie had not put down his embroidery with great expedition, he would undoubtedly have pricked his finger. But how on earth did you know she was coming at all? he said. I was just going to tell you that she was coming as a great bit of news. How tarsome it spoiled all my pleasure. Oh, I'm not a very gallant speech when you're talking to Mrs. Weston, said the Colonel who hated George's embroidery. Luckily, the pleasure in the punitive part of the expedition remained, and Georgie recovered himself. He had some news, too. He could answer Mrs. Weston's question. But it was to have been such a secret until the whole thing was ready, he said. I knew all along. I've known since the day of the garden party. No one but me, not even her husband. He was well rewarded for the recovery of his temper. Mrs. Weston put down her glass of something good, untasted. What, she said, is she going to live here alone in hiding from him? Have they quarrelled so soon? Georgie had to disappoint her about this, and gave the authentic version. And she's coming next week, Monday probably, he said. They were all now extremely happy, for Mrs. Weston felt convinced that nobody else had put two and two together, with the same brilliant result as herself, and Georgie was in the even superior position of having known the result without having to do any addition at all, and Colonel Boucher enjoyed the first fruits of it all. When they parted, having thoroughly discussed it, the chief preoccupation in the minds of all was the number of rhizomites that each of them would be the first to pass on the news to. Mrs. Weston could tell Elizabeth that night and Colonel Boucher, his bulldogs, but the first blood was really drawn by George, who, seeing a light in Mrs. Quantock's drawing-room when he returned, dropped in for a moment, and scored a right and left by telling Robert, who let him in, before going upstairs, and Mrs. Quantock when he got there. It was impossible to do any more that night. Lucia was always very busy of a morning in polishing the sword and shield of art, in order to present herself daily to her subjects in shining armour, and keep a little ahead of them all in culture, and thus did not as a rule take part in the Parliament on the green. Moreover, Georgie usually dropped in before lunch, and her casual interrogation, any news, as they sat down to the piano, elicited from him, 
as in a neat little jug the cream of the morning's milkings. Today she was attired in her teacher's robe for the elementary class, though not always now in full conclave, gathering at her house on Tuesdays and Fridays. There had been signs of late that the interest of her pupils was on the wane, for Colonel Boucher had not appeared for two meetings, nor had Mrs. Weston come to the last. But it was part of Lucia's policy to let guruism die a natural death without herself facilitating its happy release. And she meant to be ready for her class at the appointed times as long as anybody turned up. Besides, the teacher's robe was singularly becoming, and she often wore it when there was no question of teaching at all. But today, though she would not have been surprised at the complete absence of pupils, she was still in consultation with her cook over the commissariat of the day, when a succession of tinklings from the mermaid's tail announced that a full meeting was assembling. Her maid, in fact, had announced to her without pause, except to go to the door and back, though it still wanted a few minutes to eleven, that Colonel Boucher, Mrs. Weston, Mrs. Antropus and Piggy were all assembled in the smoking parlour. Even as she passed through the hall on her way there, Georgie came hurrying across Shakespeare's garden, his figure distorted through the wavy glass of the windows, and she opened the door to him herself. Giorgino mio, she said, who not too angry with Lucia for saying she was busy last night, and now I'm just going to take my yoga class. They all came rather early, and I haven't seen any of them yet. Any news? Georgie heaved a sigh. All Rhizome knew by this time, and he was going to score one more by telling Lucia. My dear, haven't you heard yet? he asked. I was going to tell you last night. The tenant of old place? asked Lucia unerringly. Yes, guess, said Georgie tantalizingly. This was his last revelation, and he wanted to spin it out. Lucia decided on a great stroke, involving risks, but magnificent if it came off. In a flash she guessed why all the yoga class had come so super-punctually. Each of them, she felt convinced, wanted to have the joy of telling her, after everybody else knew, who the new tenant was. On the top of this bitterness was the added acrimony of Georgie, whose clear duty it was to have informed her the moment he knew, wanting to make the same revelation to her, last of all Rhizome. She had already had her suspicions, for she had not forgotten the fact that Olga, Braceley, and Georgie had played croquet all afternoon when they should have been at her garden party. And she determined to risk all for the sake of spoiling Georgie's pleasure in telling her. She gave her silvery laugh that started so she had ascertained on a flat above the treble clef. Georgie, did all my questions as to who it was really take you in? she asked just as if I hadn't known all along. Why, Miss Olga Braceley, of course. Georgie's fallen face showed her how completely she had spoiled his pleasure. Who told you? he asked. She rattled her tassels. Little bird, she said, I must run away to my class or they will scold me. Once again, before they settled down to high philosophies, Lucia had the pleasure of disappointing the ambitions of her class to surprise, inform, and astonish her. Good morning to you all, she said, and before we settle down, I'll give you a little bit of news now that at last I'm allowed to. Dear Miss Olga Braceley, whom I think you all met here, is coming to live at Old Place. 
will she not be a great addition to our musical parties now please but this splendid bravado was but a scintillation on a hard and highly polished service and had georgie been able to penetrate into lucia's heart he would have found complete healing for his recent severe mortification he did not really believe that lucia had known all along like himself who the new tenant was for her inquiries had seemed to be pointed with the most piercing curiosity but after all lucia when she did not forget her part was a fine actress and perhaps all the time he thought he had been punishing her she had been fooling him and in any case he certainly had not had the joy of telling her whether she had guessed or really knew it was she who had told him and there was no getting over it he went back straight home and drew a caricature of her but if georgie was sitting with a clouded brow lucia was troubled by nothing less than a raging tornado of agitated thought though olga would undoubtedly be a great addition to the musical talent of Rhizom, would she fall into line and for instance bring her music and sing after dinner when lucia asked her as regards music it was possible that she might be almost too great an addition and cause the rest of the gifted amateurs to sink into comparative insignificance at present lucia was high priestess at every altar of art and she could not think with equanimity of seeing anybody in charge of the ritual at any again to so eminent an opera singer there must be conceded a certain dramatic knowledge and indeed georgie had often spoken to lucia of that superb moment when brunhilde woke and hailed the sun must lucia give up the direction of dramatic art as well as of music point by point pricked themselves out of the general gloom and hoisted danger signals then suddenly the whole was in blaze together what if olga took the lead not in this particular or in that but attempted to constitute herself supreme in the affairs of Rhizom? it was all very well for her to be a brilliant bird of passage just for a couple of days and drop so to speak a moulted feather an eagle's feather on lucia's party thereby causing it to shine out from all previous festivities making it the heightest affair that had ever happened but it was a totally different matter to contemplate her permanent residence here it seemed possible that then she might keep her feathers to line her own eyrie she thought of belshazzar's feast and the writing of doom on the wall which she was daniel enough to interpret herself thy kingdom is divided it said and given to the braceleys or the shuttleworths she rallied her forces if olga meant to show herself that sort of woman she should soon know with whom she had to deal not but what lucia would give her the chance first of behaving with suitable loyalty and obedience she would even condescend to cooperate with her so long as it was perfectly clear that she aimed at no supremacy but there was only one lawgiver in Rhizom, one court of appeal, one dispenser of destiny. Her own firmness of soul calmed and invigorated her, and changing her teacher's robe for a walking dress, she went out up the road that led by Old Place to see what could be observed of the interior from outside. End of chapter.